Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning and this time that we are privileged to spend in your presence. God, especially as uh, we have welcomed a, a new member into our family this morning, we are just mindful that it is you who calls us. It is you who makes us worthy to, to be in your presence. Um, Lord, and, and we would not be here if it weren't for uh, your work in our lives. And so, Lord, uh, we just thank you for that truth. We, we thank you for that fact. And, and, Lord, help us to never take worship granted. May it always be a privilege for us. And, and would you just speak to us this morning through your word that, that we might recall uh, why it is that we're called to worship and, and uh, Lord, what, what the purpose of worship truly is. So Lord, would you just bring us back uh, to the heart of worship this morning as we now open your word together. Uh, we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we wrapped up a, a sermon series on the Great Commission, uh, where we considered our mission as a church, which in a nutshell is to connect people with Jesus. You know, no matter whether a person has never entered into a relationship with Jesus or they've been a Christian their entire lives, our mission is to connect people with Jesus, whether for the first time uh, or on a deeper level, because connecting with Jesus is a process that takes a lifetime, right? None of us are ever going to wake up one morning and just decide, oh, I'm done. I'm completely spiritually full-grown. I have no growing left to do. I have arrived. I'm perfect now, right? Um, so uh, starting this week, we're going to be taking the next uh, few months, actually, to consider how we actually go about connecting with Jesus in our daily lives. Uh, because it's, it's one thing uh, to say that our mission is to connect people with Jesus, and it's another thing entirely uh, to actually live out that mission. Uh, because no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, we always have a need to connect with Jesus on a deeper level uh, and to play a part in connecting others with Jesus as well. And I believe that, that these things happen when we worship, grow, serve, and go. So in other words, we connect with Jesus by doing four things. By, by worshiping God together, by growing in our love for God and others, by serving our church, our community, and our world, and by going forth from this place to connect other people with Jesus as well. So over the, the next few months, we're going to be taking a, a deeper look at how we actually go about doing each of those things in our daily lives. Uh, so we can have a, a better understanding of how to actually live out our, our mission of connecting people with Jesus. Um, and this month, we're going to be talking about connecting with Jesus through worship. Connecting with Jesus through worship. But before we jump into uh, this, this conversation on worship, I just want to make a few uh, promises to you as your pastor. Uh, first, I, I'm not going to try to to sell you on all of the the mental or emotional benefits of worshiping God. Like worship is something that that needs a good enough sales pitch to get people to care about it. Okay. Uh, second, I'm, I'm not going to try to guilt you into coming to church. Uh, you know, it, it, because frankly, if you're not or if you're coming to church out of guilt or obligation, then, then you're coming for the wrong reasons. 
And third, uh, I'm, I'm not going to resort to cheap gimmicks uh, to get you uh, to show up, right? You, you get enough of those thrown at you in a given day, and the last place cheap gimmicks should be coming from is the church. Uh, so instead of doing any of those things, my sole desire for this sermon series on worship is that we would just simply gain a deeper understanding of what worship is and, and why it's vitally important to our personal lives in our life together as a church. Um, our uh, English word uh, worship comes from the old English word worth-ship, uh, which means to acknowledge the worth of something or someone. So, so that means when we worship God, we're acknowledging God's worth, God's value, uh, which is immeasurably greater than our own. And, and when you encounter this God who is immeasurably greater in worth and value than you, it's kind of like colliding with something that is, is much heavier or weightier than you are. You know, we just got back from a, a family trip to uh, Lake Norfolk in Arkansas. Um, and while I become a, a bit tamer after having kids in my younger days, um, I used to do some pretty stupid stuff on the water, okay? Um, so I remember one trip about 10 years ago uh, when I decided to go cliff diving with my cousins. Sounds like a great idea, right? Um, so I'd never been cliff diving before and uh, decided there was a first time for everything, so up I climbed. Uh, and the particular cliff we were jumping off of was about uh, 40 feet tall uh, at the time. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture of it, and that is not me. That's actually my cousin jumping off of it. Um, but uh, anyway, I was, I was doing fine until I got to the top of the cliff and looked down. And I didn't think I had a fear of heights, but, you know, just something about jumping 40 feet to the water below didn't sit quite right with me. So, so as I'm standing at the top of the cliff, you know, contemplating whether or not I can bring myself to jump, uh, <laughs> This, this eight-year-old little boy just walked straight past me without even thinking twice, just jumped straight off the cliff. And at that point, I, I was like, all right, I am not going to get shown up by an eight-year-old little boy, okay? And so, so I took a deep breath and jumped as far out from the cliff as I could. And as I'm on my way down, I realized something. You know, that eight-year-old little boy weighs a lot less than I do, Okay. Uh, and about that time, I hit the water, and in that moment, I learned a very important lesson about cliff diving. Keep your legs straight at all times. <laughs> Keep your legs straight. Because, you see, I didn't realize it, but on my way down, I'd drawn my legs up. And, and so when I hit the water, I received what, what felt like the most epic spanking of my life. It was horrible. It was just awful. As, you know, because when you're jumping from that high up, you know, if you do it incorrectly, the, the water, I mean, it, it just it seems to have more weight than you do. It's not like jumping into a pool. It's more like hitting a brick wall, right? So today, we're, we're going to explore how truly encountering God's pr presence is kind of like hitting a brick wall. You know, because you're encountering a being who is so much greater than you. You know, in fact, it's maybe even more like a fly getting hit by a Mack truck. Um, but instead of imminent death, the outcome is a whole lot more grace-filled and beautiful. And this is the experience that Isaiah had uh, in our scripture reading for this morning. Uh, so if you'd like to go ahead and, and get out your Bibles, 
um, and open them up to Isaiah 6. We're just going to uh, walk through uh, this scripture reading together and, uh, and talk about it. Um, so let's uh, get our Bibles. If you got your Bible with you, if you don't, uh, you got Bibles in your pews. If you don't have a Bible, that's yours to keep. Um, also, if you're using your Bible on your smartphone, just a reminder to check in on Facebook. That's a really great way to let people know where you worship and invite them to join us here at Armstrong. Um, so let's get our Bibles and, and open them to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, and uh, in verse 1 begins, In the year King Uzziah died. Um, now, now, that phrase um, is, is really important for us, uh, helping us understand everything that follows in this passage. Because if we understand who King Uzziah was, uh, we can understand kind of the spiritual condition of God's people uh, in Isaiah's time. Uh, so 2 Chronicles 26 gives us a peek into the sad life of King Uzziah. Uh, who began his reign as king of Judah at just 16 years old. So King Uzziah uh, started out as a successful king. You know, he was expanding Israel's territory, building a well-trained army, rebuilding the southern kingdom of Judah, and most importantly, remaining faithful to God. Uh, and, and God granted him success in his role as king, but alas, his success got to his head. Verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26 says, But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, of course, that was an action that was reserved only for priests in Israelite society. But Uzziah didn't care because he couldn't see past his own pride and self-importance. So in a nutshell, the priests confront Uzziah about his pride, and all that did was just make him angry. Because when pride has a stronghold in your heart, you are unwilling to be corrected by others. So as Uzziah is, is raging in the temple, God causes leprosy to break out on his forehead. And everybody present, including Uzziah, went, oh no. So they hurry Uzziah out of the temple and for the rest of his life, Uzziah was afflicted with leprosy because he allowed pride to reign in his heart instead of the Lord. So it was Uzziah's pride and his insincerity in worship that led to his downfall. And the worst part was that his, this pride and insincerity in worship also carried over to God's people as well during Uzziah's reign. So that's kind of the spiritual climate. Of, of God's people when Isaiah was called by God, prideful and insincere. Okay, many of them could care less about God and his commands because, frankly, life was good at that point, and they didn't really need God at that time, or so they thought. And in order to kind of pull his people out of this spiritual apathy, God calls Isaiah in a vision. Now, my theory is that Isaiah was worshiping God in the temple when God granted him this vision. So, so this vision is more or less kind of a, a glimpse behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies in the temple uh, into God's actual heavenly throne room that the Holy of Holies in the temple represented. Okay, And, and in this vision, Isaiah is awakened to three things, which are the same three things that, that we are awakened to when we worship God. Okay, so first, 
Worship awakens us to God's presence and glory. Worship awakens us to God's presence and glory. So verses 1 through 3 say, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now you notice here that he doesn't actually describe how God looks. His eyes couldn't even make it past the train of his robe. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they were covering their faces, with two they covered their So even God's angels couldn't gaze directly upon his glory. They even had to shield their eyes, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. Now when the Bible says something twice, you know it's emphasizing it. Almost never do you see the Bible say something three times. That means God is really holy, is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, the word glory in Hebrew is kabod, which literally translated means weight. Famous Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards put it this way. He said, the glory of God is the weight of all that God is, that the fullness of his understanding, virtue, and happiness. Remember what we were saying about having an encounter with God being like colliding with something that has more weight than you. When you hear the word glory... Think of that weight of God being greater than you. You know, imagine, imagine a scale where on one side you have all of life in the world. You know, it's, it, with its joys and pains, its triumphs and hardships, successes and failures. And on the other side, you have the weight of God's glory. Weighing those two against one another would be like weighing a speck of dust against a bar of pure gold. The weight of God's glory, when you encounter it, will rock your entire world. This is why verse 4 says, At the sound of the angels' voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. The weight of God's glory was present. And even the angels singing about it caused the entire temple to be shaken to its foundations because the weight of God's presence was weightier than anything that was real. And here's here's what that all means, right? God is more real than anything we perceive to be real in this life. And when you encounter this God, you cannot help but be permanently changed. Your entire sense of self is shaken because you now understand that there is something or rather someone who encompasses everything that you thought was real. Someone who is more real than anything you've ever experienced before in your short little ride around the sun, which was created by this God in the first place. And that is why worship is about God and not ourselves. But it's easy to forget that sometimes, isn't it? You know, just, just like King Uzziah tried to wrongly elevate himself to a position that he didn't belong in, we, we sometimes try to elevate ourselves as the object of our worship instead of God. 
And so that means that when, when a song doesn't, quote, speak to me, or, or when a sermon doesn't, quote, pertain to my life today, or I don't, quote, like the way a service is done, I get huffy and I complain. You know, there's a story about a man who, leaving church one Sunday, complained to the pastor about the music. And he said, you know, I didn't like the songs you chose today, pastor. And the pastor simply replied, well, that's okay, we weren't singing them to you. <laughs> so... You know, we've, we've all had those experiences, right, where, where we may not have personally connected uh, with a, a certain part of a worship service. You know, but, but when we remember who worship is for and what it's about, those little things start to become less important. Um, I had an experience like this on, on my recent trip to England last October. Uh, we were touring St. Paul's Cathedral in London, uh, and a group of us decided to stay after the tour uh, for their service of evensong or uh, evening prayer. Um, so before going on the trip, I, you know, I really wasn't sure how I would feel about these, these palace-like places of worship, you know, with all of their precious materials and, and gold and, uh, and art. And, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, but, but much like our, our founder, uh, John Wesley, um, I, you know, I've, I've just never been much of a high church person. Because while I appreciate their beauty, cathedrals like St. Paul's, to that point, kind of always seem to be a little too much for my tastes. But then I got to worship there, and all of a sudden, my tastes didn't matter anymore. The group I was with sat in the choir. Now, this is a picture of, of the, the choir, um, which is the area just in front of the, the high altar where the choir usually sits. That's the name choir. Go figure. Um, so anyway, we're, we're sitting there waiting for the service of Evensong to start, and I'm reading the bulletin. Um, and now, I had just learned on the tour that a cathedral dedicated to St. Paul had stood on that very site for over 1,400 years. 1,400 years. Now, that fact alone was amazing because as an American, of course, I'm not accustomed to, to being in places with that much history. Uh, but what really got me was, was something I read in the bulletin as I was sitting there before the service began, um, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. The bulletin said, when you come to Evensong here, it's as if you were dropping in on a conversation already in progress, a conversation between God and His people, which began long before you were born, and which will continue long after your death. So do not be surprised or disturbed if there are some things which you do not understand straight away. For a brief moment, you step into the continual stream of worship, which is being offered today, and which will be offered to the end of time. You are one with those who worship here on earth and in heaven. As I read that, I realized that like Isaiah, who was swept up in, into the presence of the Most High God, we were preparing to enter into that same presence, along with all those in heaven who had gone on before us, and God's angels, which had been offering God's praises before we even existed. 
you know, to, to offer worship to the same God that has been worshipped since before time began and who will be worshipped after the end of time. And the weight of that moment, of that realization, was too much for my very finite self to handle. And I was immediately broken in God's presence, and I spent the whole rest of that service bawling my eyes out. I I hardly even remember what happened because I was so moved by simply encountering the sheer presence of God and the weight of His presence. Which leads us to the second thing that worship awakens us to. Worship awakens us to our great need for God. Verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, why would Isaiah say that he was a man of unclean lips? Because in that moment, I believe he naturally realized what Jesus cautions in in Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I believe that as Isaiah was likely laying there on his face, surrounded by the praises of seraphim, He came to the realization realization of the impurity of his heart and thereby his his lips before a holy God. Not not everyone else's unholiness around him, but his own unholiness. And it wrecked him. It destroyed him. have, Have you ever been wrecked in God's presence? I don't mean just feeling a twinge of guilt because a pastor preached a convicting message. But I mean just you on your face before God because you have come to an awareness of His holiness and consequently your unholiness. I'm going to speak a hard truth right now. If you've never experienced the weight of God's presence and glory and the weight of your own imperfection and sinfulness in the light of that glory, then you have likely never had a genuine encounter with God. The idea of that alone breaks my heart, but what breaks my heart even more is there are a lot of people today who have grown up in in church their entire lives who, who have never had a genuine encounter with God. And if you're realizing this is you this morning, my word to you would be to begin genuinely seeking that encounter. You know, as James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He'll pray with Moses, show me your glory, God. And God will honor your request if you earnestly seek him in your heart. Now you might be sitting here thinking, well, well, if I haven't experienced that, I don't know if I would want to because none of this sounds very pleasant. But let's keep reading because what comes next is beautiful. So Isaiah is is likely on his face before God, repenting of his sinfulness, coming to a realization of of God's holiness and his unholiness, and watch what happens. Verses 6 and 7, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So not even the angel could touch this live coal. He had to take it with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See what happened there? When Isaiah repented of his sin, he was cleansed by God. 
Now, the penalty of his sin was atoned for, covered, paid in full. And, and he realized that, that he was, in fact, not going to die, but rather that, that he was mercifully forgiven by a God who loved him. And the same thing happens to us when we repent of, of our sin before a holy God. Instead of coming under judgment for that sin, we're, we're told by God that our sin has been paid for by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for our sake and that we are forgiven. Amen? And not only are we forgiven, but we are loved by that most high God. That means encountering God proves a couple of things. First of all, it, it proves that we're not quite as awesome as we might think we are. But secondly, it also proves that we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. You know, in spite of our brokenness before God, our sin has been atoned for on the cross, and we're forgiven. And, and when we come to that realization that, that we're not as awesome as we think we are, but we're far more loved than we could ever imagine, then we are ready to be used by God, which leads us to the third and final thing that worship awakens us to. Worship awakens us to God's purpose for our lives. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So once Isaiah understood who he was in relation to God, and had been purified by God in a way that, that he could not do on his own, that only God could do, he was ready to be used by God. And the same goes for us. You know, if you repent of your sin before God and ask Him to, to cleanse you by Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross and, and make you holy in His sight, God can and will use you. God has purposes for you to fulfill. And the only way that you will discover God's purposes for you is through worship. So if you're ever struggling to find meaning in life, feeling a little aimless, or, or wondering what your purpose in life is, worship is where you're going to find the answer. So, so I hope we're beginning to understand you know, what worship is and, and what its purpose is this morning. Because at the end of the day, worship has very little to do with you and I and everything to do with God. You know, it's not about, about you and me and what we get out of it, but rather it is about glorifying God and encountering His presence and glory for ourselves in a way that changes us and doesn't leave us the same as we were when we walked through the door. And when, we, when you realize that simple truth, you can begin to be used by God for His purposes in the world. And as God begins to, to use you in powerful ways and, and you begin to understand what it means to, to glorify God in worship, worship will become more meaningful to you than you ever thought possible. You know, sometimes we're concerned about what we get out of worship. We won't have to worry about that anymore if we just remember who worship is about and what we're doing. It'll have its own intrinsic meaning. So this morning, I just want to simply implore you 
to seek a genuine encounter with God. You know, maybe you've never had an encounter like this with God before, but, but maybe this morning God is, is reaching out to you in love, calling you to experience His presence and glory in a way that, that you never have before. Or maybe you've encountered God in this way, but, but lately you've kind of slipped into a spiritual rut where worship has just kind of become routine for you. You know, instead of being something that you delight in, it's, it's just something you do. You know, and it's losing its significance. Pray for God to restore to you the joy of your salvation and delight in worshiping Him. My prayer is, is that we would experience the weight of God's glory together as we gather around His table this morning. And as we come to the communion table, this is one of the places that we're able to experience God's glory for ourselves and His presence in our midst. In the United Methodist Church, we, we believe that when we gather around this table, Jesus meets us here in a real way. He is present with us in the bread and in the cup. So if you're longing for that encounter with God, if you're longing for the presence of Jesus, just use this time to prepare your heart and, and ask Jesus to meet you in this meal. And I, I believe God will honor that request. And so I, I just invite you now, um, as we prepare to receive this meal, just bow your heads with me and let's just prepare our hearts to receive from God.